Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Decatur City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, we would love it if you would take just a moment to download the Decatur City Church app where you can find access to all of our recent message content. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope you enjoy the following presentation and I hope it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, good morning, Decatur City Church. How are you all doing this morning? Good. I love the energy in the room. Well, for those of you who may not know me, and I've been introduced, but my name is April Christina Farmer, and I serve as the Care and Baptism Director at Buckhead Church. So I'm really excited to be here with you guys today. And some of you may be looking up and like, isn't that that girl who sings here sometimes? Yeah, that's me too. I've also served as a worship leader in our network of churches for several years. Thank you so much. Um, They still let me sing, so I'm really grateful about that. Um, But I'm excited to be here today. And one of the things that I've realized that when you're introducing yourself in a new way to an audience is, you know, you try to make a connection. And so oftentimes speakers will show pictures of their family. And I've never done this. And so I wanted to share with you guys today a, a, a picture of my family. It's actually my most recent photo of my family. And so I want to introduce you to my new granddaughter. Yay! Her name is Ava Marie. She, today, she's about a week and a half or so. It's seven days, so you really can't do a, a real half. But she was born on Ju, uh, July 20th. It was on a Wednesday. Um, and it was the most amazing thing. My son and my daughter-in-law gave me the opportunity to actually be in the room when she was born. Like, I did not expect that. I have two boys. And so, when, you know, not having a daughter, you don't know if you'll have that experience. But my daughter-in-law, she's so sweet. And she, she called me and she was like, Mom, would you like to be in the room? And I'm like, absolutely. I want to be in the room. And so that was just such an amazing thing. And what's funny is I had two boys and I had cesarean sections. And so my grandmother would always tease me. And she was like, girl, you ain't had no baby. And I was like, what are you talking about? She would flat out say, no, you didn't have no baby. And I'm like, no, Nana, don't say it. And I would be so offended, you know. But now that I've been in the room and I've watched a natural childbirth, I'm like, yeah, Nana was right. I ain't had no baby. I did not have a baby. But she is so precious, and I absolutely love being a grandma. And, you know, one of the first things that I'm always asked is like, okay, what is your grandma name? What is your grandmother name? And a lot of people, they say, you know, well, I'll just let the baby call me whatever she wants or whatever he wants to call me. That is not me. I am very clear about what I want to be called, and I thought really, I thought through it very well. And so I decided that I was going to be called Ama. So a couple of reasons. My name is April, and I'm Ma, so Ama. But the most significant reason is that my boys, whenever they wanted to get my attention at home, they'd be like, Ama, Ama. And so I figured, let's just stick with what's been working. I know how to respond to that. And so I, 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 I'm going to be called Ama, and I, I totally love it. And everybody's starting to call me that now. Um, and it's A-M-A-H, just for you um, uh, technical people who like to know, how is that spelled? But... um. I could not talk about my new baby girl, my new Ava May. I call her Ava May. I couldn't talk about her without introducing you to her parents. And this is my son and my daughter-in-law. This is Joseph and Mariah. And they are the most precious couple. It was so funny. They, They met and started dating a few years ago. And one of the things that was so weird to me, they were always just on each other. And I was like, can y'all not? Can y'all go somewhere else? We're like, why y'all got to be holding and just laying legs across each other? That's just too much for me, you know, because it was just so weird. I was like, that's, that's too much. That's too much. But what's so funny is that they met in middle school ministry at church years ago. 
And time passed, but they kind of reconnected at, at my former church. And so now they're together. And every time I look at this picture, I'm just so overwhelmed and I'm so blessed. And this picture makes me feel happy. It makes me feel overwhelmed. It makes me feel so joyous and, and just so excited about what I get to experience. And I remember being in that room that day and watching my son watch his wife give birth to his first child. And sometimes I get teary-eyed thinking about it, but I remember seeing him, and he's my emo baby. He's my emotional one. He's so affectionate. And I watched him cry, and I watched him as they took Ava over to the the little baby thing. I don't know what it's called. And she was laying there, and he was just crying, and he would look back at Mariah, and they were both in tears, and I just saw the love that they had for each other. And it was just so amazing to me. And every time I see them, I not only see their love and their joy, but I also see a part of what was a turnaround for me. And we'll talk more about that in a bit. But as Lane said, we're wrapping up today this series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks called Navigating a Turnaround. And it's talking about what to do when things are headed in the wrong direction. And all of us have found ourselves in that situation at one time or another. And we've been gleaning wisdom from the book of Jonah, the story of Jonah, actually, And for those of you who haven't been here or you haven't been uh, watching along, I would encourage you to kind of go back for the last two weeks and watch the series of messages for the last two weeks. But Jonah is a prophet. He was a prophet who served as God's messenger from about 800 to 750 B.C., And unlike the other prophetic books that we find in the Bible, this particular book was about the actual man, Jonah, and his life and occurrences that happened with him. And in week one, Joel taught us um, from chapter one about how Jonah encountered God in this really dynamic way. God gave him a command and Jonah chose to not obey that command. And God's response was, God responded to him with correction. But the vehicle of correction that God chose was not your typical vehicle or anything that you would find common. Actually, God actually appointed a storm to kind of envelop Jonah. And it also put him in a lot of danger. It put not only him in danger, but it put other people's lives in danger. And when Jonah was confronted by the other people on the ship about what was going on, Jonah had this opportunity to wake up to what was happening, to wake up to the situation that he found himself in and the impact that his decision was having on not only him, but on others that were around him. And this led him to being tossed into the sea and drowning. And God also at that point appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah whole. And he was in the belly of this fish for three days and for three nights. It's a dynamic story. And then in week two, last week, Chuck talked to us about chapter two, and we dove into this prayer that Jonah had as he had drowned, and he was in the belly of this fish, and he had this prayer. And we dove into what this prayer meant and how Jonah responded to God's correction with this prayer. And it was a prayer of thanksgiving and praise for his grace and his mercy and how God had uh, rescued him. And he acknowledged, and I love this part about it, he acknowledged God's sovereign hand in the entire ordeal. And Jonah recounts this deep dive that he went into, this downward spiral that he take, he uh, undertook as he was in this water and he was diving deep into, this, into the depths of death. And he cried out to God 
and God rescued him. And I love Jonah's final statement in his prayer. He said, salvation belongs to the Lord. And at that moment, the great fish vomited Jonah out onto dry land. And so today we're going to wrap up the series, Navigating a Turnaround. And we're going to look at the final two chapters of Jonah, chapters three and chapter four. And what you'll notice is some parallels between the two chapters. You'll hear things and say, wait a minute, that sounds kind of like it was in chapter one. And that is very true. But I want you to uh, attune your attention a little more closely to not only those parallels, but to the new things that kind of come to the surface as we look at chapters three and four. And we'll get a full picture of why this book about Jonah was so valuable that God chose to include it in this canon, this collection of books that we call the Bible. And he included it to help us navigate life. So let's dive in. In Jonah chapter three, verse one, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now, Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three days walk. Jonah set out on the first day of this walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Short, sweet, specific, and to the point, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. And this message was exactly what God told him to share. Five Hebrew words, seven in our English language. That's all it was. It was no big, long, elaborate message. It was so sweet and so simple and so to the point. But I don't want us to miss what's been happening down throughout this story. There have been windows of grace and mercy throughout this entire ordeal. And we see that on display here. In chapters two, we have the fish was sent to rescue Jonah. God didn't have to do that, but he sent the fish anyway. And also Jonah, we see here at the top of chapter three, that Jonah gets a second chance to deliver the message that God told him to deliver a long time ago. He gets this opportunity and God did not have to do that, but he did anyway. And then we also see here that Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, are given 40 days. He says very clearly, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Now he could have said right now or 24 hours from now or at this very moment, Nineveh will be demolished. But no, it says in 40 days, God did not have to give 40 days, but he did. And when we look at our lives, when we look at the things that we've encountered, how many times has God provided windows of grace and mercy to us, to me and to you? Perhaps we're sitting in a job and and we find ourselves kind of cutting corners and doing things that we know we shouldn't do, but yet and still we haven't quite been fired yet. And day after day, you know, you kind of feel like I really should stop doing this, but nobody's seen it yet, but you haven't been fired. This, I would submit to you, is a window of grace and mercy. Or maybe you're making a deal with a partner and you, you, you know that this particular partner is kind of crooked. They cut corners and they do things that are dishonorable and not necessarily according to the moral values that you have, but the, the potential to make so much money is right at your grasp. But yet and still, every time you try to make this deal, it doesn't go through. I submit to you, perhaps this is a window of grace and 
and grace and mercy given to you. Or say you're engaged and you start going through two to one or whatever premarital you're in and your, your mentor comes to you and they graciously pull you aside and they say, honey, uh, you need to run the other direction. <laughs> this person is not for you. This, I think, is a window of grace and mercy given to you so that you can make a different decision. And what we find is that when God gives you a window, it's an opportunity for a turnaround. It's an opportunity to make things right, to go the opposite direction, to actually level up. And that's exactly what the people of Nineveh did. In verse five, it tells us, it says, then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. And when word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne. He took off his royal robe. He covered himself with sackcloth and he sat in ashes. This is amazing. Think about this for a second. The known ruler of the greatest nation in the world at that time chose to believe the word from God and to believe that God would do exactly what he said he would do. He chose to level up. He progressed to the next level. And you say, well, April, how did he do that? Let's take a look. He humbled himself. It says that he got up off of his pedestal. He got up from where he was and he got up off his pedestal, his seat of position, his seat of authority. He got up from there. And then it says he took off his garments of of authority. He took off his royal robe. What everybody knew was a signification of who he was and the authority that he had. He took that off. And then it said he covered himself with sackcloth which is a garment of mourning. And he sat in ashes, which symbolizes submission. And I don't want us to miss this. Sackcloth and ashes seem so foreign to us in this day and time. But in that day and time, it was an outward display of an inward repentance. Sackcloth were just were throwaway uh, clothes. There were things that you used to put stuff in to carry, things that didn't matter. It was the lowest rung of clothing and attire. And they would take, he took off his royal robe and put on the most menial and demeaning piece of garment. And that sackcloth and to sit in ashes, the very dust of the earth, to put it on yourselves. And if if you've ever seen any kind of depiction of that, they literally pour them, they make themselves dirty. They humble themselves and make them the lowest that they can possibly do. And this king and these people are demonstrating to the reader, whether it's the children of Israel at that time or whether it's you and I right now, that to get to the next level in a turnaround, to level up is to bow down, humbling ourselves before the only one who can raise us up. Humility is paramount to a turnaround. There is no going up without going down, without humbling ourselves. And Jesus Christ himself demonstrated this perfectly. In Philippians chapter two, verse seven and eight, it tells us that Jesus emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he came as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point 
of death, even death on a cross. And not only did this people, these Ninevites, humble themselves outwardly, their actions corresponded with their humility. In verse 7, we see it says, Then he, the king, issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth. Wow. And everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. How amazing is that? This pagan nation not only humbled themselves before God, they changed. They stopped doing what they were doing. They knew that what they were doing was wrong and evil in the eyes of God, and they chose to stop. And God's response is so wonderful. In verse 10, it says, God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways, So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. And I want to be clear, his relenting was not changing his mind. His standard of justice had not changed. God is fully just, but he is also just as fully merciful. He is fully just, and he is also just as much fully gracious and compassionate and loving. So we see humility and repentance partnered together that moved the heart of God to relent. And you might say, okay, yeah, April, I've been there. I've done that. I've been in that position. I've been in a place where I humbled myself and I recognized that what I did was wrong or what I was doing was wrong and the direction that I was going was wrong. But for some reason, I continue to find myself right back here in this spot. What is happening? Why am I here? And just when I think that I'm headed in the right direction, I find myself feeling like I'm going around in cycles of sin or cycles of making wrong decisions or always going in the wrong direction. And perhaps there's a deeper issue. And this is what chapter four of Jonah teaches us. In verse one of chapter four, it says, Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Oh my goodness, where is this man coming from? Why in the world would he go there? What is the deal here? What is going on? This prophet of God had one job, which was to speak exactly what God told him to say. And he refused the first time, but God rescued him. God's mercy and grace was bestowed upon him and he saved his life. And then God gives him a second chance to do one job, which was to proclaim what God said. 
the same message, these five simple Hebrew words. And then what happened there was this huge conversion of an evil and wicked nation. (laughs) What is the deal? Why is this man pouting like this? It makes no sense. But we've got to stop and pause a minute. And I want to make sure you understand why Jonah was so angry. The people of Nineveh were not just the people in the city next door. They weren't just his neighbors that they never came in contact with. The people of Nineveh were an Assyrian nation that were the arch enemies of Israel and any nation that they wanted to take over. They would go in and besiege a country and they were ravenously wicked and evil. They were villainous to people. They would, they would, I, I won't get into descriptions, but I remember when I looked it up, I was mortified by the things that they would do to people just to, you, to, just to insert their authority. They were wicked and especially to the children of Israel. They destroyed his people. They killed and murdered and mutilated people that were his brothers and his sisters. Jonah hated these people. And God just used him to save their lives. So wait a minute. Okay, with that level of understanding, now things are a bit clearer. We see why Jonah was as angry as he was. And think about it. Jonah knew the character of God. He knew that Jonah, he, Jonah knew that God was compassionate, that he was slow to anger, that he was full of grace and mercy, and that he wanted nothing more than to relent from his decisions for a disaster. Jonah knew these things about God. He had experienced God doing this for his people. And so to share this message with those people was horrific to Jonah. He was furious because he realized that God wanted Jonah to participate in the salvation of his enemies. Jonah's heart was being exposed. His heart, deep down that place where people can't see on the outside, God was exposing a condition of his heart. In verse three, he said, I'd rather die than be a part of you saving people that I can't stand. Jonah's heart was hard and God knew it. He didn't want God to treat his enemies with the same grace and mercy that he himself had received. Jonah wanted them destroyed and he was angry with God. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been angry with God? And God's response to Jonah is a gut punch. When I read it, I was like, oh, wow. Take a look. Verse four, the Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? What kind of question is that? The Lord asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? You know, I, I shared with you a picture of my son and his wife and their their new baby girl. But what you may not know is that I had my son Joseph when I was 19 years old. And when I told his dad, I was in college, I was a a, a freshman actually in college, and I told my uh, my son's father that I was pregnant. He was like, well, hey, I don't want any kids. You're on your own. And he would literally walk past me like like I didn't even exist. 
and my son was born and we, we did all the stuff that we were supposed to do. And years went by and for years, he never claimed my son. Year after year, my son would ask me, mom, where's my dad? And his dad was nowhere to be found. And I remember one time he was nine years old and he begged me. He's like, mom, do you have my dad's number? And I couldn't lie to him. I was like, yeah, I have his number. He's like, can I call him, please, 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 mama, let me call him. I remember we were in my car. It was a green Honda Accord named Eddie. And Joseph was in the back seat and he was like, please, mom, let me call him. And I was like, all right, I'll let you call him. I pulled up my phone with the green screen and uh, I gave it to him. And the phone rang and he picked up and he was like, hello. He said, yes. He said, this is Joseph Barron. And he was like, hi. And I remember I was looking in the rear view mirror and my son looked at me. He said, he didn't hang up, mommy. He didn't hang up. I was like, okay, keep talking to him. And so they started this conversation and he eventually gave me the phone. He was like, hey, I'm so glad you called me. I would love to get to know him. I've been thinking about him. So let's meet up. So we made the arrangements to meet at a restaurant and, and, you know, in a public place. I ain't seen you in years. And so we sat and my son was just so eager and he was so anxious and he had never met this man before in his life. This man hasn't set foot in front of him for nine years. And we get there and he talks to him. And I remember the first question my son asked him, he's like, where you been? Literally, that's what he said. Where you been? And he was like, well, that's a long story. Maybe I'll talk to you about it when you're an adult. And he was like, okay. It was nothing to him. And I'm sitting over there like, you got to be. You know, but I didn't say a word. I let my son have his moment. And so he told my son at the end of the conversation, feel free to call me whenever you'd like. Let's talk. And so we, they had the conversation and, and, and my son would start calling him about every other day. And one day he gave me the phone and his dad said to me, he was like, hey, I wanted to talk to you. I know I pay you child support through the state, but I hate having them in my pocket. So can I just give you $5,000 right now? And then I'll pay you child support directly. I just don't want to have to deal with the state. And in order to do that, I would have to write a letter to the state to tell them that I was no longer going to use their, um, their process. And that would mean that if anything happened and he stopped paying me, I couldn't ask for it again. And so I told him, absolutely not. So because I knew as an adult, you, I'm not falling for the okie doke. Like, I know what you're trying to do. And so... But my son, he was unbeknownst to him. He didn't know anything about that. So the next time my son called, he didn't answer the phone. And I got a text and it said, uh, tell that boy not to call me anymore. And I text back and I said, are you serious? And he said, lose my number. That's when my son was nine. My son is 26 years old now. And he has zero relationship with his dad. And I thought to myself, <laughs> what? And my son's looking at me angry. Well, why didn't, why is he, why did he say this? Because I had to show him what happened. Why? Why would you do that, mommy? It's your fault I'm not talking to him. It's your fault that he's not here. And I had to take the brunt of all his pain and his hurt and his anger, and it crushed me. And I thought, my goodness, I was, I was so angry. I was angry at his dad, but really, I was angry with God. <laughs> How could you let him deny his own son? How could you let him do this to me and to him? How could you make, us, make him act like he didn't even exist? And how could you make me raise this boy by myself with no help? While he goes on with his life, and I saw that eventually he got married, started having his own family, and I'm sitting here as a single mom struggling to take care of mine. And you go on like nothing is wrong. 
And I decided he did not deserve to be happy. He doesn't deserve to get married and have a family and be prosperous and start a business. He doesn't deserve that. I'm the judge. I'm the jury. And I say he doesn't deserve it. And this is exactly how Jonah felt. They don't deserve your grace and mercy, God. And the story goes on. It says, Jonah left the city after God's question, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah didn't even respond. He just left. Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in the shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. <laughs> Isn't that, thank y'all, it's hilarious. <laughs> Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. So Jonah made for himself what he thought was a sufficient covering, but then God provided something better and then Jonah was super happy with that. Jonah was elated. And then it goes on to say, when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. <laughs> the sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted and he wanted to die again. Oh my gosh, dude. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. So may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left as well as many animals? And that's how the book ends, right there, right there. Do I not have a right to decide and choose to love people that you've deemed unworthy? Do I, God, the sovereign creator of the universe who made this plant grow and die within 24 hours for your benefit, and you're happy about that, but the moment I do something you don't like, you feel like you have a right to be angry? God took the time in the midst of Jonah's anger to show him two things, God's heart and Jonah's heart. Everything that he'd encountered, the storm that endangered his life and those of others, those innocent people around him, God provided and, and, and being tossed into this, the depths of the sea and facing death and darkness in the deep, drowning in what? Pride, anger, self-righteousness, and for what? <laughs> because he didn't want to participate, to partner with God in the salvation of those that he had deemed unworthy of it. And in that same situation in, in, with my son, when I think about that, I realized that I'd done the same thing. I decided that he wasn't worth salvation. He wasn't worth God's love. And I realized that I had an opportunity and a window of grace and mercy to make a decision to level up 
And I realized that as a parent, my response to this situation would navigate how my son would respond when things didn't go the way we thought it should. Now, I can't say that things turned around for the better for my son, that he has a relationship with his dad now. I can't say that because it's not true. What I can say is the other day when I was preparing this message, I asked my son, so I got a question for you. How do you feel about your dad? He was like, my my dad, dad? I was like, yeah. He said, I hold no ill will towards him. He said, I don't. He said, I pray and I'm working hard to make sure that if at any point in my life he decides to come to me and want to start a relationship, that I'd be open to it. And for me, I have to be honest, that made me proud. Because had I been a venomous mom who had nothing but evil and mean and ugly things to say about his dad, what kind of heart would he have now? How would he have the family and be starting this life that he never saw? He never saw a father in the home. He never saw a dad in his home. And now he gets to be the father that he never, ever had. And I praise God for that. And what I realized is that when I made that decision years ago, I would tell him, I was like, you know what? Your dad doesn't love, he doesn't know Jesus. And so he doesn't know how to love you the way you deserve to be loved. So we're going to pray for your father that he would come to know Jesus and we would consistently pray for him. And that's what we did because God chooses to work through his people to bring the message and hope of salvation to the world, to everyone, not just the people we like, not just the people we agree with, not just the people we get along with, but everyone. And in order for us to to, to represent him well, to represent God well, he graciously shows us where the core of our issues are, which is our hearts. And so this crazy story has hit home for so many people for the last few weeks in navigating this turnaround. So many people have just got this gut punch. And for the last few weeks, nearly 300 people have have taken the opportunity to reach out for prayer. I think uh, Joel, uh, Joel introduced it the first week. And nearly 300 people have responded to this story about Jonah, this mirror that he faced about what was going on in his heart. And we want to extend that same thing to you. Although this series is wrapping up, we want to give you the opportunity. Maybe you find yourself in a situation where, hey, I do need to make a turnaround. And I realize that there is no leveling up without humbling myself and partnering with God to change my heart, to let him change my heart and transform me from the inside out. And so if that's you, for the next seven days, we've got a team of people willing and available and anxious to pray for you. And all you have to do is text TURNAROUND to 51255. And those people will be praying for you. You can text anonymously and they will lift up your name in prayer. And we will you know, seek God on your behalf. For people, for those of you who desire to wake up, to dive deep, and now you have an invitation We are inviting you to level up, to do the next right thing so that ultimately God can use us as instruments of his grace and his mercy and his faithful love to point people 
to the supreme offering of grace, which is salvation through Jesus Christ. That's the win. That's the end goal. That's the ultimate turnaround. And that's where all of us need to be. And just like Jonah said, (laughs) salvation belongs to God. So there's no nice, cute antidote I'm going to leave you with. But we do want to leave you with an invitation. Um, Jared's going to come up and sing this final song. And it's called Come Out of Hiding. And the second verse says, I'll be your lighthouse. This is God talking. I'll be your lighthouse when you're lost at sea. He says, I will illuminate everything. He knows the direction that you need to go. And he promises to shine the light on that direction. And all he asks from us is to follow him. Will you follow him today and let him point you into the direction of life to the full? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for being a God who can point us in the right direction, for loving us enough to show us ourselves, to show us where we need to level up and get to the place where we allow you to show us our hearts so that we can choose to make a change, to make the next right step. And God, it may not be in the direction we want, But because you stand outside of time and you know the end from the beginning, we choose to trust you to point us to life eternally and fully and abundantly with you. We ask you this and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.